Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. When I was a young curate here in Manhattan back in the late 1970s, I used to see an activity right outside of Grand Central Station on 42nd Street. It's an activity called three-card Monty. You don't see it anymore, but here is how it used to work. A man stands at a little table on the sidewalk, and there are three playing cards on the table. He turns them over, and you see that one of them is an ace. He turns them back over again, moves them around a little bit, and then asks you to pick the card that is the ace. The man smiles at you. He moves the cards really slowly. He tells you it's easy. He gives you a practice round where you always spot the ace. And when you finally put your money down and give it a try, the ace simply disappears every single time. Well, there are some people in the gospel that Ben just read for us this morning who are just like the three-card Monte dealers on 42nd Street. Which is to say, there's some people in that gospel passage who are classic con artists. The scene for this gospel is Jerusalem. The time is just a few days before the crucifixion. And there are two groups working together that normally are at each other's throats. The Pharisees and the Herodians. And the Pharisees are the religious people. They're the ones who pray five times a day, they tithe, uh, they keep God's law. And the Herodians are the politicians. They are, along with their uh, political power, uh, upright citizens. But as we see them in today's passage, they are classic carn artists because they're trying to trap Jesus. These Pharisees and Herodians are oily and slithery, and obsequious. They come up to Jesus with a big smile, with a slap on the back, and with all sorts of compliments, and they think they got him set up for the big con. And so they ask a trick question. It's a question to which, no matter what answer Jesus gives, he's going to be in trouble. It's like that moment when someone turns to you and says, do you think these pants make me look fat? I mean, there's no answer to that question that's not going to get you in trouble. So with these Pharisees and Herodians, they spring their trick question. They say, tell us, O wise Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? So you see the trick here. If Jesus answers, yes, it is lawful to pay taxes to Caesar then these religious Pharisees have got him by the throat because the taxes would go to a pagan emperor who worships idols. But if Jesus answers no, if he says it's not lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, then these political Herodians have got him by the throat. Why? Because he's liable to punishment by the Romans for being a revolutionary. So what does Jesus do? Well, He proves that Cuba Gooding Jr. was not the first person to say, show me the money. Jesus turns to these con artists 
and he says to them, forget it. Do you think you can con the Son of God? And then he says something that none of them expect. He says, show me the coin used for the tax. And when the coin appears, he says, whose image is on the coin? And when they answer the emperor, Jesus nails them. He says, give to the emperor the things that belong to the emperor and to God the things that belong to God. And we Christians, ever since, have been trying to figure out how to do that since Jesus uttered these words 2,000 years ago. And the question's even more pertinent as we've got a little election coming along on November 3rd. How are we to love our country and to love God and to be faithful followers of Jesus? You and I, the truth be known, work hard to try to obey this command from Jesus, to try to be both good citizens of our country and also to honor God. Both of these efforts are important. Both of them are worthy. But every now and then, the moment comes along when the true value of things comes into focus and superficial things get stripped away and we get to see what's really important and what isn't. One man uh, who is old enough to remember the Nixon presidency says this, I supported the president with my vote, influence, and money. Then, when the Watergate mess became public and he resigned, I felt betrayed. And then, suddenly, I realized that while I get to vote, pay taxes, and enjoy the benefits of being a citizen of this nation, my real citizenship is in heaven and God will not betray me. Well, what about you? What about me? Do you think we could pray that God would give us the really scary gift of stripping away the things that are less important so that we might be embraced more fully by those things that are essential? And isn't it actually, in a way, happening right at this moment? There are so many things that are being stripped away from us. Little things and big things alike. Smaller things like our not being able to hug each other this morning. Our not being able to go to the movies. Our not being able to receive wine during Holy Communion. Our not being able to travel as freely as we'd like. And then more seriously, for some of us, not being able to go to school, not being able to have a job, heaviest of all, not being able to stay healthy. And this is where we come to the theme of our stewardship efforts this fall, getting the gospel right and getting the gospel out. Because when this stripping happens, as it always does in one way or another, as life goes on, pandemic or not, getting the gospel right means proclaiming that which is essential, that which remains after the stripping, 
that which stands when all else falls, that which is the one rock on which you and I stand. I remember a few weeks ago, Jacob in his sermon had this one line, this is all we got, and that was good news. So I just want to remind you and me of the two essentials that we have when all the stripping is taken a place. The two essentials of getting the gospel right. And the first one is illustrated by my friend Paul Walker. He's a friend of many of us here. Paul is an Episcopal priest. He's the rector of Christ Church in Charlottesville, Virginia. He's a powerful preacher, but earlier in his life, his ministry was struggling. Back then, he was trusting in his own ability to keep God's law, and it wasn't working. And then one day, he went to a worship service at the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, and he heard the dean there, Paul Zoll, preach a powerful sermon on God's amazing grace. And after the service, Paul Walker ran home he burst into the kitchen and he said to his wife, Honey, I just learned that we don't get better. Isn't that great news? And what he meant was this. He meant that as he despaired over his own efforts to get better through his own teeth-gritting work, he heard the news that as he utterly collapsed in his effort to keep the law, Jesus chose to bear his sins and failures, his total and complete disasters on his own shoulders on the cross so that the forgiveness and love of Jesus came to Paul Walker as he was, where he was. No strings attached, no three-card Monty, no conditions. Paul Walker was blown away by the news that the forgiving, one-way love of Jesus on the cross took care of every broken place in his life. The one other essential of getting the gospel right comes from another priest, Episcopal priest, a fellow named John Hooker. I ran into John uh, a little while ago after not having seen him for some time. And I noticed that the side of his head was completely shaved and that there was a big surgical scar running from the top of his head down behind his ear to his neck. And when I asked John what had happened, he said that he was just returning from Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston where he had undergone a very serious operation on his brain. And he said that the operation had gone very well. I said that he must have been scared going into the operation, thinking that I, you know, was going to be pastorally sensitive. Here's what John said to me. Scared? Why should I be scared? I knew that when I woke up after the operation, I would either wake up lying in the bed of one of the finest hospitals in the world, or else I would wake up cradled in the arms of Jesus in heaven. So really, Jim, what did I have to lose? Well, I'm not sure I'd be quite that confident myself if I was having a brain operation, I must say. But still, John Hooker got 
the second element of the essentials of getting the gospel right. The good news that you and I are resurrection people, that death does not have the last word, that Jesus walked out of that tomb on Easter morning, and that the love of that risen Jesus always has the last words. And that is what we know this morning about our brother Angelo, that death has not had the last word for Angelo, that the love of Jesus right this second is having the last word for our resurrection brother Angelo. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Render unto God what is God's. That response by Jesus stopped those con artists in their tracks. And that response reaches across 2,000 years to this sanctuary this morning and to the yearnings that each one of us has brought into this service. So that's why I'd like to close by telling you about a little girl, a little girl named Zoe. Zoe was the granddaughter of an author named Max Dupree. And Zoe was born 15 weeks early. At her birth, she weighed one pound, seven ounces. She was so small that a wedding ring could slide up and down her arm from fingertips to shoulder. And her doctor said that she had a 5% chance of living three days. When Max visited Zoe, uh, she had two IVs in her navel, one in her foot, a monitor in each of her, on each side of her chest, and a respirator and a feeding tube in her mouth. Zoe's parents were divorced, and her father wasn't around, and so a nurse told Max to come to the hospital every day. The nurse instructed Max to rub Zoe's body with the tip of his finger, up and down her arms and legs. While you're caressing her, the nurse said to Max, you should tell her over and over how much you love her because she has to be able to connect your voice to your touch. Zoe made it. Today she is alive and healthy because somebody touched her and caressed her and told her that she was loved over and over and over. And you and I, we really are Zoe. We're born prematurely. We can't make it on our own. Behind our facades of self-control and self-reliance, we are yearning so much for forgiveness and for mercy. And the news is that when all that is superficial and extraneous and non-essential has been stripped away, there remains one abiding truth from the one who hung on that cross and who walked out of that tomb. There remains one abiding declaration that in the word made flesh, in the person of Jesus, God touches us and caresses us and tells us that we are loved over and over and over. That's getting the gospel right. And by the way, if that's not worth <laughs> pledging our resources 
to Calvary St. George's for 2021 in order to get the gospel out. I don't know what is. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.